I'm your host, Alexander Hefner, and you're listening to the audio podcast of The Open Mind. I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. Based in San Diego, California, Travis View is my guest today. He's a writer, conspiracy theory researcher, and co-host of the podcast QAnon Anonymous, which chops and screws the best conspiracy theories of the post-truth era. According to Wikipedia, QAnon is a far-right conspiracy theory detailing a supposed secret plot by an alleged deep state against U.S. President Donald Trump and his supporters. The theory began with an October 2017 post on the anonymous image board 4chan by someone using the name Q, a presumably American individual that may have later grown to include multiple people claiming to have access to classified information involving the Trump administration and its opponents in the United States. And that, again, is from Wikipedia. Welcome, Travis. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Is that an accurate anecdotal origin story? I mean, broadly, I mean, I think that really more central to the QAnon conspiracy theory is the belief that the world is run by a cabal of of child sacrificing elites. And um, they they control everything. They control governments, they control the media, they control Hollywood. And they would have continued doing this sort of basically indefinitely were it not for the election of Donald Trump. They basically believe that if Hillary Clinton were to win, then this evil uh, elite cabal would have just sort of continued doing all the evil they wanted, uh, sort of unimpeded. But the QAnon community believes that Donald Trump knows all about this cabal, is fighting them behind the scenes. And uh, he's doing it with with the assistance of a group of military intelligence officials known as Q-Team. And uh, this Q team is sort of letting the public know about what is going on uh, uh, with uh, this sort of fight with the cabal through these, uh, these posts on these image boards. Uh, image boards originally started on 4chan, moved to 8chan, and now 8kun. And uh, the QAnon community believes that by decoding these very cryptic, very vague sort of uh, posts on these image boards, they can sort of understand what's sort of going on really behind the scenes. The fact of the matter is Donald Trump has retweeted and often promotes QAnon literature. So it, even if you don't believe it as a viewer, it is in the mainstream right now by virtue of his reposting of it. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, Trump has uh, quote tweeted or retweeted uh, literally dozens of QAnon accounts. He's actually even retweeted uh, one tweet that contained the hashtag QAnon. Um, also, additionally, there are dozens of c- congressional candidates um, who, are, uh, who currently promote QAnon. They, there's no knowing how well they're going to do in the uh, election in November. But I think, yeah, this is definitely a topic worth exploring, even if you rightly dismiss it as all sort of absurd nonsense. What do they say, the, the, the um, QAnon advocates and posters, in response to what is the mainstream media definition, which is that this is not just outlandish, but this is just fictional? This oh, is- yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the sort of the QAnon reaction, sort of the mainstream media sort of definition of QAnon is that this is all sort of a controlled message, is that the mainstream media is sort of like scared of, of QAnon rising and uncovering the truth. Because ultimately, they see themselves as a competitor to the mainstream media. They think that, um, you know, when the mainstream media goes out and reports on things that, that happen, 
then that's basically all lies or it's in service of a particular narrative. And the QAnon community, they are working to destroy that false narrative. They, they imagine themselves to be very heroic in this way. And do you see it more as a monetized commercial aspiration or as a political party? Because in both cases you've described, and if you follow Travis on Twitter, you'll see he will point out every example around the country and even the world of Q literature. So right. that might be a sign, uh, a sticker, a bumper sticker on the back of a sure. car. That might be people reading the cues and Donald Trump's messages and trying to decode what it means. Uh, I think it's mostly um, a political aspiration. I think that um, there obviously there are two sides. There are uh, the grifters of the QAnon community. There are people who don't believe it but want to exploit people who do believe it for monetary gain. But there are people who are sincerely radicalized into this belief. They uh, believe this sort of um, this grand conspiratorial narrative that uh, that the world is run by a uh, group of evil people who lie about everything, and they are very nobly working to dispel those lies. How much of that the lie narrative is racist, xenophobic, anti-Semitic, and how much of it is not? Well, you know, it, it all, this all ties back to sort of a class, the classic sort of New World Order conspiracy theories, which the idea that uh, the world is sort of uh, being controlled by a cabal. And those always have, at, very, at the very minimum, an anti-Semitic subtext. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, lots, of, uh, lots of QAnon followers, they, they aren't, uh, I guess, uh, racist or anti-Semitic in an overt way, but some of them certainly are. So from your interaction with this community, with which you have some regular conversation or dialogue, do, right? Yeah. Daily or weekly? Uh, I mean, I, I, I interact with uh, uh, QAnon followers online, I think. Every day. Da daily. And then I've also met a few uh, at rallies and stuff. So do you, th there is a segment of genuine believers in this movement who you would say are disconnected from that subtext and from that larger political aspiration yes there are there are people who uh, who yeah don't really see the sort of political aspiration they sort of see themselves as what they call themselves digital soldiers and the, they imagine that sounds political it's, it is it does sound political right because they imagine that they are uh, yeah fighting this this uh, very noble fight to destroy the uh, the narrative that's controlling everyone what I'm trying to understand Travis is yeah. when did the cabal form I mean what when did you start doubting yeah. the integrity of the American Republic and the experience here? A lot of them believe that it started uh, hundreds of years ago. And this, this ties back to conspiracy theories about the Illuminati and um, uh, 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 the, was it the Freemasons mm -hmm. and those sorts of sort of secret societies kind of conspiracy theories. Uh, there are others who believe that it more ties to the, uh, the American deep state as its origins in the, their, the belief that JFK was assassinated by, um, uh, by out of control intelligence agencies in the US federal government. And they have been working to uh, keep everything secret. I mean, the truth is, is that it's not really a coherent narrative. They all have different sort of factions, different ideas of who the cabal is and what their ultimate goals are. Um, but uh, they're all sort of united in the belief that everything is a lie and therefore uh, the sort of the order that needs to be destroyed. But th they themselves are sort of uh, an anarchy or a sort of a libertarian attitude towards their narrative. They don't feel like they have to have a unified narrative on their origin and they, they accept people in their, in their sort of unified principle is 
a love for Donald Trump. <laughs> That's true. Uh, we often call uh, QAnon as sort of a big tent conspiracy theory in the mm -hmm. sense that it welcomes people of uh, many broad sort of conspiratorial beliefs. You might have people who believe in the idea of alien disclosure. This is the idea that uh, the U.S. government has been hiding lots of uh, UFO secrets for decades, and then eventually those, those secrets are going to be released and we'll have access to incredible technologies. There are other people who uh, really are more focused on the religious aspects, the belief that the cabal is Satan worshiping and they're uh, fighting a holy fight. And there are still others who believe things like, uh, like JFK Jr. lives. This idea that uh, JFK Jr. did not die in 1999 in a plane crash, but is somehow still alive to this day. So there are people who have their, their own faith in, in Q, and it, it might be a certain connection to, to Kennedy, or it might be a, a connection to a hate movement, or it may be a, con but th there, there is a patchwork of what is inspiring these, these folks. And it, ultimately, what is the effect of Q on civil society? I mean, the effect, it's the effect of, uh the effect of Q on civil society, I think, is really corrosive. It's corrosive, number one, in that it uh, sort of it, it erodes this idea of uh, that that truth is knowable, that you can sort of like trust anything at all, and the idea that you can sort of just form ideas about what's true inside of your own head, and that's as good as real. Um, it's also uh, destructive in what it does to personal relationships. At least what I've what I've seen, uh, a lot of QAnon followers they talk about being isolated from their families. I mean, I personally, I get DMs from um, people about once or twice a month, and they'll say, my father, my brother, my, uh, my friend has fallen into QAnon, and it's become an obsession, and it's becoming harder to maybe treat their mental illness, and do you have any recommendations on how do I deal with this issue? And uh, it is very troubling. What would you s approximate is the size of the digital footprint, and is that analogous to the actual footprint? In other words, are we, by virtue of this episode and hosting right. you, overexposed to it, and in fact the digital footprint is much smaller than the actual presence? Your anecdotal evidence in tweeting every day seems to suggest Q literature is popping up around the country. So m my question to you is, is what's the digital footprint, and does that have some basis in numbers in, in flesh and blood? Yeah, I mean, obviously the digital footprint is sort of ov overrepresented because it is sort of an online movement. It's based upon this belief that uh, the QAnon followers can, by sitting at their computer and tweeting this bas basically propaganda, they can change the world. It's a very sort of heroic narrative. Um, but it also, it does spill out into the real world in, in terms of like, uh, you know, affecting personal relationships and also uh, acts of um, uh, domestic extremism. So it, it uh, and also it also uh, obviously is part of the real world in that at many Trump rallies you'll see QAnon followers uh, very proudly showing off their Q gear and there there there'll be groups of QAnon followers who wear Q shirts. Um, so the actual size of the QAnon community, I mean, is not really known that well. There hasn't been really a good solid poll on that. I would love it if there was, but uh, we just don't know that. But you would be the most informed, both in terms of telling us how many actual human being followers there are online. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would... Not bots. I, yeah, not, uh, there are lots. I mean, it would have to be in like at, at least in the hundreds of thousands and possibly into the millions. Um, and to what extent did the Russian disinformation efforts during the 16 campaign 
amplify the sort of pre-cue ideas and to what extent, if any, was that integrated into the founding principles of, of Q? Yeah, we know that the um, Russian um, uh, sort of uh, state actors sort of worked to sort of amplify QAnon accounts. They worked to uh, um, get, get a lot of retweets, a lot more followers into the QAnon. They might, the, the Russians might have sought, seen it as an opportunity. Um, I don't think there's any evidence the Russians were driving the narrative so much. By all appearances, this is a, a homegrown movement. Do these folks who are writing the stories of QAnon, are, are they engrossed because they're like writing their own um, National Enquirer? I mean, is that part of the allure of this or is that a, a mistake to, to simplify it that way? No, I think the, the people who uh, genuinely sort of promote QAnon, uh, they really think that they're doing something uh, uh, noble and good. It's not just, it's not uh, something uh, uh, gossipy. It's, it's really, they believe they're taking part in a incredible revolution. They believe that like after this, uh, this revolution that they call the Great Awakening, right. uh, there will be this incredible time of uh, peace and prosperity and togetherness, a utopia basically. So they feel very motivated to uh, uh, keep doing what they're doing online. And meanwhile, they've made a lot of predictions that haven't materialized. They predicted that uh, like uh, people like uh, uh, Human Abedin would be indicted. I mean, the very first Q drop predict. Have any of their predictions been realized? Um, not really. I mean, not more so than like uh, a uh, sort of a, a psychic medium might be, be able to get right. I mean, the thing is, I mean, is that the thing is that I yeah. uh, a. Um, uh, Q relies on these sort of these, these cold reading tricks. Well, Q will say something like uh, very vague, like watch the water. Now, watch the water. What does that mean? I mean, it could mean anything. And, uh, but the thing is that because water covers most of the planet, we all need water to survive, there's going to be a news event eventually that involves Trump and water. And so the QAnon community will look at that and will say, look, Trump, uh, Trump drank a glass of water uh, on camera. Q said watch the water. That means that Q predicted that event, which, of course, is nonsense. Right. And do you think, judging by your interactions with this community, that, you know, they will find a way to entrench themselves in any narrative where there is destruction and basically say that they predicted it, you know, in some fashion because they've come up with so many, of course, hypotheses, uh, for instance, with coronavirus and the emergence of this new disease? Um, how have you seen the real-time integration of live world events into their propaganda? Yeah, yeah. They, they, uh, a lot of them have been claiming that, uh, that the coronavirus is sort of a, uh, uh, created by the deep state, or they claim that it's a part of Bill Gates' uh, plan to sort of uh, uh, destroy most of humanity. They, or China, right? Or I think I've seen some examples. Some because China, that's yeah. where there is some, there is a segment that is, uh, the the American ethos of you know fear of other powers and right. some sympathy that you might have in understanding the geopolitical conflict historically, the aspiration of democracy. But are those are are those people who would accuse China of corruption or um, you know some sort of biochemical failure? Uh, intentional or un unintentional, is there a segment of them that either they're saying that because of their own professed patriotism? 
It might, yeah, it's part of that. I feel like they're mostly wary of elites generally, just the people who are in power, whether it's Bill Gates, whether it's the Chinese Communist Party. So why do they want Donald Trump seemingly to serve until he's how old? Over 100? I mean, yeah, they, right. Some, maybe a preponderance of the Q community would like to see Trump's realization of that Time magazine meme graphic right. where he's winning elections every four years for three, four decades. I mean, aren't they so skeptical of authoritarianism? Well, Except Trump? Not, not, not his case. They see him as a uh, Washington outsider, which he technically is. But uh, they believe that he is one of the only uncorrupted elites for some reason. They believe that he is the one who's going to come in and uh, acquire all of this power, and he's going to basically tear down the power structures that this evil cabal has built up. Do you think behind closed doors before Twitter there was this kind of fanfare for Reagan? I mean, there, there has to have been some cultivated political allegiance in the past on which these folks have built. You know, I... There obviously there's lots of people who uh, venerate uh, Reagan as a as a great great patriot, great great uh, great American, great president. But this is certainly another level. I mean, mm -hmm. people uh, people in the QAnon community uh, revere Trump to almost on a spiritual level. They believe that he is you know uh, basically he has saved the country from certain destruction. They believe that actually if Hillary Clinton was uh, elected president, it would be the end of the republic. And, and the only reason that didn't happen was because uh, uh, Trump, you know, uh, against all odds, won the office. Do you have any concern that the work that you're doing and now the work that I'm doing here interviewing you is heightening people's attention or interest in a way that's ultimately counterproductive? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm always worried about that. But, but uh, I, at the same time, I feel like... Um, we're living in an age where conspiracy theories are, are uh, normalized more so than ever. They are sort of promoted at the highest levels of power when it wasn't that long ago when conspiracy theories were the sort of the pastime of the powerless. Um, and, but uh, I think that is important, I think it's important to talk about conspiracy theories for that reason, but also because uh, we're seeing uh, you know, some uh, conspiracy theory driven extremism. And, you know, once people's uh, lives are, are at risk, I think it's uh, certainly important and worth addressing. And how would you assess the rehabilitation, the DMs that you get on Twitter from folks who say they are now uh, forever lost to this cult? And uh, has there been any successful intervention or rehabilitation? You know, um, there is a, uh, a cult expert named uh, Steve Hassan who, uh, who deals with these issues, um, who's been exploring QAnon quite recently. Uh, he's helped uh, people get out of um, other cults like Scientology, and, um, and uh, he has just started exploring it. I don't know of, any, of a really good case study of someone who was like, deeply into QAnon who eventually got out. I've had, I have spoken to a few people who were into QAnon for the very first few months, for three or four months. They realized it was nonsense. They got out. But it is a lot harder for someone who is involved for years to eventually realize that they've been bamboozled and then stop believing. Right. And from your interactions, you gather that there are some examples of, of you wouldn't expect it, but your neighbor could be among the yeah. few following. There, there's no 
precise pedigree, although there, there seems to be a pretty tribal following that, that I was going to ask you if you could estimate what percent of these people did come from the evangelical community. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, yeah, a lot of QAnon followers, um, they're, they are perfectly pleasant people. I mean, for example, I went to a QAnon rally in uh, Tampa, Florida, when, which was attended by about mm, 120, 150 people or so. And they knew who I was. They knew what I reported on, but they were uh, perfectly nice to me, despite that. Um, and uh, they, uh, yeah, a lot of them do come from the uh, evangelical community because the narratives are so similar in the belief, in the belief that uh, there is, um, in the, they believe in this idea of the rapture, the idea that there is going to be a great reckoning that is coming in which all the evil people will finally uh, uh, suffer their, their ultimate fate. Why is it that the conspiracy theory that ends up having a foundation in fact or why is it that religion are no longer sufficient outlets? You see shows like the HBO series on the McDonald's million monopoly scandal. You see examples where there, there is some evidentiary basis to find alternative viewpoints in media. And then, of course, there's God. I mean, then there's sure. the question of religion and faith and whether... It's real or not. I mean, isn't there enough to keep us questioning that we don't need to focus well, on Q? I mean, or that they don't need to be focusing on making up other questions? I mean, yeah, just, that's an excellent point. I mean, like on our podcast, we often explore the sort of the, the real incredible wild stories of, of power pe powerful people conspiring. That's something that happens naturally. That's history, in fact. Um, but uh, but peep, there's this, I feel like there's a profound sense of sort of unreality because of the fragmentation of media. People feel disoriented. People don't know what's true anymore. People don't know who to trust. People feel let down by institutions. And so they resort to these sorts of wild fantasies in order to explain that sense of unreality. In those shows like the HBO McDonald's docuseries or the Netflix Making a Murderer, they're there are real people conspiring and it's not the elite. I mean, it's, it's uh, someone who works for a security firm and, you know, at, at someone who is in a police department. And, I, you know, I'm just, there, there are ample examples and are they not resonating because these people have dispelled HBO, Netflix, they're part of the cabal. Is that a reason that they wouldn't of course, undertake of course. this kind of entertainment or this kind of engagement? Yes, they have a, they have a knee-jerk re rejection of anything that they believe is coming from the mainstream uh, media. Anything that, the, anything that they believe is, um, is, is uh, coming from an institutional source of information, it's automatically suspect for them. What, where do you draw that line of institutional? I mean, there has to be some gray area for QAnon people because if they're not watching local news at all, they're not seeing anything about recalls and toys. I mean, how much have they given up on normal or civil society? I mean, they have uh, taken to sort of trusting sort of YouTubers with, uh, with, uh, like, uh, with you know, maybe 200,000 followers, where they think that that's sort of more authoritative or at least more trustworthy source. You'd of say that the majority, if not all, of the QAnon followers would reject local news, meaning they don't watch local news anymore. And only watch YouTube? Uh, they, they, I think they tend to trust local news more so than national news or maybe cable news. But, but, they, but they 
they, they trust sort of what they call uh, citizen journalists, which is basically anonymous people online who spin their theories and connect dots and sort of, they think that this is sort of uncovering the true source of information rather than sort of uh, traditional journalists. And do you get any sense of when that started for most of these QAnon people? Had they been broken from society in this way and for, for many years or decades prior to this? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I spoke to uh, uh, one person who was a QAnon follower who claims that uh, they, he believed in the sort of sense of like the deep state and the cabal ever since the Kennedy assassination. So it, w it, was, it was decades in the making. I mean, uh, QAnon just sort of provides a sort of convenient narrative for everyone. And also uh, the other elements, obviously, the rise of social media. Because if you were a conspiracy theorist decades ago, it, w it was a lot of work to get alternative sources of information or, or spin alternative theories. It took research. You had to go to the library. It was <laughs> labor intensive. Nowadays, you can spin, you can connect uh, a lot of dots and spin a wild story at your computer you know, in, uh, you know, in under an hour. And reach and, and potentially reach, and reach persuade millions of millions people. Of yeah, people. if you had a conspiracy theory decades ago, you could maybe you know staple together a couple pages and try to send them out to whoever was interested in it. But yeah, it wouldn't have much reach, and most people wouldn't trust it. Finally, how how can people access your podcast? And are the vast majority of listeners part of the community or part of the community that's just interested in the Q community? Yeah, my podcast is uh, QAnon Anonymous. You can find that on any podcasting platform. And we're mostly sort of uh, QAnon skeptics. Um, they're mostly people who are sort of interested in the wild stories or even maybe think that maybe there's something to them. Um, we also have a lot of listeners who, are, who have family members who fell into QAnon. They want to sort of understand what these people believe and why they think they do a lot. Has Oliver Stone called you yet? Not yet. Waiting on that call. He will. Yeah. He will. <laughs> Thank you, Travis, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to you in the audience. I hope you join us again next time for a thoughtful excursion into the world of ideas. Until then, keep an open mind. Please visit the Open Mind website at 13.org slash openmind to view this program online or to access over 1,500 other interviews. And do check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Open Mind TV for updates on future programming. Continuing production of The Open Mind has been made possible by grants from Ann Olnick, Joan Gans Cooney, Lawrence B. Benenson, The Engelson Family Foundation, Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, Joanne and Kenneth Wellner Foundation, and from the corporate community, Mutual of America.